Hey, this is Evan Jackson, Video Production Director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. So for those of you who don't know me, my name, my name is Michael, and um, I don't really know what you'd call me, but um, I'm a member of this church, I'm a minister in training, and um, more than anything, I just want to be a faithful servant of God, and I just want to thank Pastor Dave for the opportunity um, to preach to you this morning, because I, I just can't tell you how much of an honor it is for me to be able to do this. Like, 10 years ago, if you said to me, hey, someday you'll be up on a pulpit preaching to people, I'd say, you're crazy, man. So, this is just a testament to, to what God can do. So, we're in a series called Living History, and Pastor Dave gave me the, the section of the message that he wanted me to preach, and I was like, yes, this is what I want to preach about. This is what I want to preach about. I was like, this is like, it was one of those verses that you've all heard it before, people hanging under wall, whatever. So I had this idea, I was going to preach about it. And then I started to write the message. And then God said, no. That's not what you're going to talk about. I was like, oh boy. He said, you're going to give them some good news, but you're also going to give them some bad news. And I don't know about you, but when someone says to you, do you want the good news or the bad news, I always say, you hit me with the bad news first. So we're going to get into that, but just a quick recap on living history. This is a book about Jewish history written by people who have returned from an exile. But it's different than Kings because what it does is it kind of offers us a commentary. It offers us a way to avoid the mistakes that those people made that ended up in a lot of cycles of revival and tragedy. So that's where we're at at this point. So when I started looking at this passage, I started looking at Chronicles. We have this title, Living History, and I'm like, history is kind of, it's like an oxymoron. History is dead. How can it how could it be alive? Well, it can only be alive if I'm in the history. So I tried to find a way into it. How do I see myself in the book of Chronicles? And then it hit me. Chronicles is really a book about exiles. And so I don't feel like an exile. I mean, I live in this beautiful country, right? We have no persecution here compared to what we see in the scriptures. I don't feel like an exile. But then I started thinking about it, and it goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 3, 22. Then the Lord said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So what you see here is we're all exiles. We have all been cast out from God's presence. We used to walk with God in the mornings, in the, in the cool of the night and all of that. And if you look around at the world today, I don't know about you, but this ain't the Garden of Eden. Right? I mean, okay, so we're all exiles. We live in a sinful world. C.S. Lewis attacks this a little bit of a different way. It's a shame that you're not studying mere Christianity with us. It says, the universe is at war, but it does not think this is a war between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war 
a rebellion and that we are living in the part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory, that's what the world is. So not only are we exiles, we are the rebellious children of God. And so it's important to recognize this, that we are exiles, we are rebels. But God has a message for you this morning, and that brings us to the big idea. It is not too late. And so we're going to continue on in Chronicles. Our main passage today is 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 22. So if you want to find that in your Bibles and follow along, that's okay. I'll read it to you in its entirety, and then we're going to kind of work back through it and see what God has to say. 2 Chronicles 2, 7, starting in verse 11. So Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace. Everything that had entered Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own place succeeded. So that's pretty much where we left off last week. We see this temple made of gold. God's spirit comes right down on it. So that's where we are now. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place, and I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man ruling in Israel. However, if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commands that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow and worship to them, then I will uproot Israel from the soil that I have given them. And this temple I have sanctified for my name, I will banish from my presence. I will make it an object of scorn and ridicule among all the people. As for this temple which was exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and say, Why did the Lord do this to the land and to this temple? Then they will say, because the, they abandoned the Lord of their, the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They clung to other gods and bowed in worship to them and served them. Because of this, he brought all this ruin on them. So you can see from that passage, that's one of those things. Got some good news, we've got some bad news. And so we're going to start with verse 19. Just the first half of it. It says, however, if you turn. So the first thing we have to ask, did Israel turn? Did they turn away from God? And the answer is yes. It's a resounding yes. And it started with the top. King Solomon fell away from God in such a way that you couldn't imagine. And then leadership starts at the top and it worked its way down through the population. Scripture says King Solomon was wiser than any man that ever lived. But the Bible also says he had 700 wives. He set up pagan worship sites called high places. And he did this primarily to keep all his 700 wives happy. 
And because of this failed leadership, Solomon fell apart. So did the kingdom of Israel. We don't have to go into the whole thing, but basically what happened was the kingdom of Israel broke into two separate kingdoms. So in one generation, from the dedication of the temple, you have civil war and a split kingdom. The wheels fell off really fast. So the people in Israel followed in this cycle of idolatry. And it makes you think, this nation was so blessed. They had their own land, their own God, their own temple, all the gold you could ask for. Why would they turn away from God? It seems that comfort sometimes is what breeds this complacency. I don't know about you, but we see this in our culture, right? It almost seems like we're so fat and happy on the blessings of God, we've turned away from him too. So we go back to our main text. The rest of that verse, it says, However, if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commands that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow and worship to them, then I will uproot Israel from the soil and this temple I have sanctified for my name. I will banish from my presence. I will make it an object of scorn and ridicule among all the people. So the bad news is this. Within one generation, the people of God have begun to worship the small g gods of this world. They're little idols. And idolatry isn't always just like this little statue in a shrine. It's whatever you put in front of your relationship with God. So what God's going to do, he says it right here, it's a promise. I'm going to uproot the people, and I'm going to send them into an exile. And this exile isn't a figure of speech, right? So this is where, I just wanted to avoid this so bad, but I couldn't. A lot of times in the church, when you talk about the Jewish exile, it's like, it's very sugar-coated. It's like, well, you know, God, put, put them on a timeout. You're like, I have a daughter now. It's like, someday I'm going to say, go to your room. That, that's not what the exile was. And so we have to avoid thinking about it like this. It's not a figure of speech. So the people of Israel are going away. This is serious. And so what we're going to do, the northern kingdom was exiled first. I'm very uncomfortable talking about this because you're going to see in a second that the northern kingdom goes away. And they went to a people called the Assyrians. And they, these people, the Assyrians, were unmatched in ancient history with their brutality. So this is who God chose to be the captives of the Israelites. <laughs> this is what the Assyrians were known for. They impaled people. They amputated people's limbs. Okay? They would crucify people. But what they were most famous for was when they would go to a city and there would be the, the last few who would be rebellious. And I'm sure this happened to people in Israel. They had these knives, and these knives had a special purpose. They would cut the skin off of people's backs all the way up to the back of their neck while they were still alive. And then they would take these skins and they would hang them on the wall on the outside of the city as a warning to people, you do not mess with us. So th this is what the Assyrian exile looked like. This, this wasn't a timeout. This wasn't, this is brutal. And so the ten northern tribes were sent away. God said, I will uproot you from the soil, and he made good on that promise. And the ten tribes that went away were virtually lost to history. It's very difficult to find that those tribes ever really returned because they just kind of became part of this diaspora. And 150 years after that, the people of Judah went on their exile. 
And you would think that they watched what happened to the kingdom to the north, right? And they said, God said he's going to do it. God did it. And they continued on in their idolatry. It didn't, they saw what happened to these people. It didn't slow them down a bit. It would be like, say, Connecticut and Rhode Island were one nation. And we saw Massachusetts come down and take everyone from Rhode Island away in chains, cut skin off their back, hung them on the wall, and we're like, cool story, bro. Like, I like my idolatry that much. That, this is what's happening here. So as Judah goes to Babylon, they weren't quite as bad as the Assyrians, but we read in the, in the Bible, uh, non-kosher food. They would throw people in lion's dens. They would burn them in furnaces. This is serious stuff. And so we hear this in the scripture, and we're like, God, we can avoid it. I'm not going to do that. But we say, God, why? Why would you do that? Why are you so harsh? But that's kind of a, that's not the right question. The right question is, is my idolatry that serious? Okay? And because idolatry is a lifestyle that leads to death. And the book of Chronicles is here to give us a choice. It's saying to us, please put down your idol. Choose God instead. And God didn't just snap his fingers Exile you go. For 200 years, he sent prophets to Israel. And these prophets would walk through the city and say, Exile's coming. The exile is coming. They didn't stop. And then they went away. For another 150 years after that, God sent prophets to Judah. The exile is coming. The exile is coming. They didn't stop. God even sent a prophet to Assyria to, to try to reign them in because he knew this is where he was sending his people. It didn't work. So that's where the prophets come onto the scene. Right? So we have this beautiful prophetic literature in the scriptures, and this is what they did. They came and they said, oh. it was like, almost like a police officer. You blow through a stop sign. The stop sign says, stop your idolatry. And the cop pulls you over and he's like, did you see the stop sign back there? Yeah. Give me a ticket. What are we going to do? Like, I, I'm going down the highway to idolatry. That's kind of how this worked. So the prophets brought a message of woe and lamentation. They said the exile is coming. But they all also included a message of hope, of restoration. So let, let's hear from one of the prophets, just as an example. Micah chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. Listen, all you peoples. Pay attention, earth, and everyone in it. The Lord God will be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is leaving his place and coming down to trample the heights of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him and the valleys will split apart like a wax near fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. All this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the countryside, a planting area for a vineyard. I will roll her stones into the valley and expose her foundations. All of her carved images will be smashed to pieces. All her wages will be burned in the fire. I will destroy all of her idols. She has collected the wages of a prostitute. They will be used again 
for a prostitute. So we can see that Micah is in Israel. He's saying, please, stop. And they just looked at him like a crazy person. And it's like Micah today would be called a conspiracy theorist until the Assyrians come, right? Now it's serious. But he also said at the end of the book, who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. But what he doesn't say is that you're not going to have to go through the exile. We see it again from the prophet Joel in chapter 2. It says, Blow the ram's horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. So we see this again. Listen to the prophet. But they just couldn't do it. But Joel also says, Restoration. After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your younger men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God tells his people, you can't serve idols and God at the same time. And Jesus even says this, he says you can't serve two masters. You see, God takes our idolatry so seriously because what it really is, it's like a disease. It is a spiritual cancer. And when we worship these idols, it's a symptom of a heart that has that disease. And just like real cancers, they can go undetected for a long, long time. And then they metastasize, and it's too late. So the bad news, Israel has been diagnosed with a disease. And this, di this diagnosis is terminal unless God intervenes. A way to think about the exile is like the way a surgeon cuts out a tumor. And so the act of cutting hurts. And it's a brutal process, but it is for a purpose. It's to stop this idolatry from spreading. And so we have to realize it's so serious, it leads to death. That's the bad news. Israel is sick, but God has a cure. We might not like that cure, but it's something that we have to look at in realistic terms, that God takes our idolatry very, very seriously. So I told you there was some good news this morning, too. Thank you for hearing me out. But we can't just skip over the exile. I, I, I didn't really want to deal with it, but I felt convicted that you needed to hear that that same spiritual disease you have, too. I have it, too. So the good news. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen through 16. And my people who bear my name Humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open, and my ears attentive to the prayer from this place. 
and I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. These two verses, three verses here, are almost the very heart of the book of the Chronicles. Because these are the verses that most people probably would recognize from that book. It's kind of like the action point of the whole book. Because what we see here, what the Chronicler is giving us is a choice. You can humble yourself and seek God, receive healing, or off you go. The human heart is an idol-making factory. A closer look at verse 14, it says, And my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And so what we have to realize is that verse, for the people of Israel, that was a promise. If you do this, the exile is off. It was a promise. But for us, it's a prescription. It is advice from the chronicler of how to avoid this fate. It tells the reader how to avoid these national sins. And we also have to avoid this thinking that the United States of America is the new Israel. That's poor theology. I don't subscribe to it. I do agree that a nation like ours couldn't be on this earth without God's blessing. And we should be thankful for that. But we are not Israel. Because if we are Israel, the consequences of the physical exile are real for us too. And I don't think any of us want that, that if our nation sins collectively, off we go. The real physical exile is on the table if we think we're the new Israel. But here's the good news. Humble repentance equals healing. And so I have to ask you, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, Have you noticed that there's a rival religion in our country now? That most people you see out there don't look like a Christian anymore. This is how it was in Israel, right? So the Bible talks about how there's these so-called high places, and that's where people would go to get their pagan on, right? We have them too, okay? So I just want to talk about these high places a bit, okay? So... We see in our culture the influence of the church of Jesus Christ getting lower and lower and lower and lower. And then we see the influence of these high places getting higher and higher and higher. And so the first high place that I want to talk about is Hollywood. Have you noticed that this particular high place has so much influence on the way the culture flows? And I don't think it's a good thing. The kind of filth that we see, you can't even put your kids in front of Disney anymore without first watching the thing. And so, we have to ask ourselves, why would the church surrender so much influence to this high place? That seems like exile territory to me. And it's funny, they call it the Hollywood Hills. It's almost like they're not hiding it, it's up in a high place, like a physical high place. Another high place, the universities. Also, no surprise that we call this place higher education. This is another high place. And as Christians, we have to look at this. It's not that all college is bad, but this is the place that is teaching our children that scientism and materialism and evolution, all these things, that's where it gets pumped into our young people. And these, in our country, these universities are subsidized. Like, we're paying for this 
in some shape, way, or form. So we have these high places. Harvard's motto used to be, for the glory of Christ. It's not anymore. That's not what it is anymore. It's just truth now. It's just truth. And it's almost like at this point, when we look at these high places and what they're pumping into our culture, it's almost like it's Satan's youth ministry at this point. And we have to avoid it. And it's not all bad. I like movies. I have a college degree. That's not the point. But the point is, the church of Jesus Christ has been lowered to this point that it's almost living in the shadows of these high places. Church, I don't want to say this. It, this has been measured. Okay, so Pew, we were doing it, the Bible study. Pew Research had this study they did, and they said, best case scenario, unless something changes, by 2070, in our children's lifetime, less than 50% of the people in America will be professing Christians. Less than 50%. And what Pew Research considers a professing Christian is once or twice a month. So, listen, people who are gathered here to hear the word on a Sunday like this, this is a remnant. This is bad. But the good news is, it's not too late. The book of Chronicles tells us there is hope there is hope because he gives us the prescription. Repentance equals healing. That is the equation. But the New Testament talks about a different kind of exile. So for the Jews, it was this physical, brutal exile. But the book of Romans in the New Testament has a different take on the exile. So we'll start in Romans 1, 24 through 28. Therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of the error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do not do what is right. So three times in this passage in Romans, God says it. He says God delivers the people over. He delivers the people over. He delivers the people over. And what is he delivering them to? It's their own idolatry. So you either want God or you want the idol. But as we can see from Israel, within one generation, when we let go of God, we fall fast. One generation. And so while we look at the physical exile of the Jews and we might cringe at it, at least we know for sure that's the judgment of God. When those people saw the Babylonians coming, when they saw the Assyrians coming, they knew that that's from God. Okay? But when we see the thing happen in our culture, this turning away from God. What's so bad about it is that this is men. We're being ruled by ourselves now. It's like the time of the judges all over again. So the new exile is God saying, okay, fine. You have it your way. I'm delivering you over to what you really want. And that's your idols. And we might be disgusted by the brutality of the Assyrians 
and the worship of the Babylonian culture. But is human nature any better today? Are we any less brutal? Okay, let's talk about the 20th century, the one that just passed. Two world wars, weapons that can destroy the planet, mass starvations, the rise of communism, over 60 million children aborted in the womb. Are we any better? Is our culture, do we have a, a soapbox to stand on? I don't think so. I don't think there's good old days, good old spiritual days. So what do we do about it? Is it too late? The book of Chronicles says no. The book of Chronicles tells us we still have hope because if we humble ourselves and seek God's face, he will heal our land. If we pray, he will heal our land. It's not too late. It's not too late. We have been called together for this moment. And so I am hopeful because we know the fact that we're all here right now, we know it's not too late. And we learned last week, Pastor was teaching about how the temple is no longer this physical edifice in Palestine anymore. The temple is the body of all the believers. The temple is me. The temple is you. 1 Corinthians says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. And I want to tell you this morning that you have more access to God today than any person ever had in ancient Israel. He literally lives in you in the body of all believers. Gold and stone has been replaced with flesh and blood. Smoke and fire has been replaced with God's Holy Spirit. Each one of us now is the mesh point between heaven and earth. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ came onto this earth into the enemy-occupied territory in disguise, and he said, here I am. You will be the temple now. In these temples of flesh and blood, they matter so much more to God than gold in Jerusalem stone. They would burn 10,000 animals outside in this massive act of worship. But when you humble yourself and you pray, that temple worship means more to God than that ever could. So where do we go from here? I say this week, we spend some time, and me first, humbling ourselves before God. I want it to start with me. I want it to start with us, with New Life Church. I want this church to be a people who is worthy of a revival. And what that's going to take is for us to humble ourselves, seek God's face, turn from our idols. I want it to start with us. The scriptures say that you don't have to fix yourself before you go before God. It just says to humble yourself. And all humbling yourself means is with your sin, with your baggage, with your idol, He's going to fix you. 
you don't have to fix yourself. You just have to be humble. And you have to let him heal you. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, I pray that you would give these people ears to hear and eyes to see that this land is is falling away from you. Lord, we, we talk about there's a big election coming and we have our hope there. We have our hope in our jobs and we have our hope in these little idols that we have. But all of that is insignificant. I pray for my brothers and sisters today, God, that they'll humble themselves and seek your face so that we don't have to live like an exile anymore. We don't have to live life on the lamb anymore. So we just thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the book of Chronicles. We thank you that you love us so much that you gave us a choice. So it's my prayer this morning that my brothers and sisters would seek your face again. We thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.